The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Customer experience altruism. To be or not to be? That is the question on Friday, November 6th, a couple of weeks removed from customer service week. In the midst of the craziness of the US elections, we are going to get into whether or not we in customer care should be altruistic or not. We have a sensational guest today, Jessica Noble. Uh, if you look at Jessica's LinkedIn profile, which please I encourage everyone to do, there's some great stuff in here, some really unique things. One of which is so attractive here is that she's written a book. And this book we're gonna get into, and we will get to it in just a second. It, Jessica, it is wonderful to have you. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires. We are so glad to hear you. Make sure we can, the audience can hear you. Just give us a quick hi and, and, and let us hear you into your mic. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Super, it is really great to have you. Uh, I am Neil Toff, co-host, co-creator of Fireside Chats Without the Fires, along with the great British accent, he says. He's only here for one reason, he says, but we know really why he's here. He's the bra the brains behind this thing. Uh, Paul Catherall. Paul, ha Paul Catherall, co-host, co-creator as well of Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Great to have you as well, Paul. Uh, and great to be here with Jessica, right? Absolutely. And Neil, you know what it is. So it's Podcast Friday, which means I'm buzzing. <laughs> he is buzzing. That is that that's that happens on Fridays. That actually happens Monday through Thursday and Saturdays and Sundays. Paul's also buzzing, but he gets particularly amped on Fridays when we get to have a podcast. But most importantly, when we have such a great guest as we we have here today uh, in Jessica Noble. So again, let's go to Jessica's LinkedIn profile. I always like to start with that because there's some really good stuff in here. Uh, if you look at here, kind of I don't know what you call this the the little blurb at the top of LinkedIn. There's usually a sort of list of things, and her list is great. Fractional CCO, which I assume, Jessica, we're talking about Chief Customer Officer. Yes. SMB Business Advisor, advisor Small and Medium uh, medium Business Advisor. And here's the, here's the great one. Author of Five Customer Experience Mistakes Causing Profit Erosion. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, and then uh, you are the, you've got one, two, three, four, five, you got a whole slew of titles under Magnetic Experiences, which is your company. Which of these should we lead with here? Tell us a little bit about Magnetic Experiences before we get into talking about the book. So I am the founder of Magnetic Experiences, but the reason you see a slew is I really like to do work, not just manage people doing work. And so I take on gigs myself. And like the fractional chief customer officer other times right now i'm helping with a digital strategy for a company that acquired five other companies and now they want to integrate them but through the lens of the customer so the long list is the fun stuff that i do that's great companies brands that are out there hire jessica as your chief customer officer but get her the third thing fractional we're not interested in fractional we're interested in making her a full-time part of your company because what you're going to hear in this podcast about her book is going to be really great Tell us about the book, five the five customer experience mistakes you don't know you're making that are causing profit erosion. Man, there's so much to break down in this title. Tell us, the book was published when? Uh, June, yes. June of this year, okay. And yeah. how does one get a copy of the book? It's available on Amazon. And it, there's also, you can go through my website, but the quickest way, the quickest way is on Amazon. 
So that's a really unique feature about the length of this book. This is a, we're thinking war and peace of, you know, 900 pages or, or what's the, what's really great about the length of this book? It's a lot like war and peace, but the opposite. It is uh, just over <laughs> 60 pages. Um, I actually never intended to write a book, but it is very much me. You can hear my voice and it is short, which is exactly like I, what I like to read. So what are the five customer experience mistakes that you don't know you're making that are causing profit erosion? What are they? Help us understand what those top five are. Yes. Yeah, so they're really the five things that I see most companies, mistakes that most companies are making, especially in that small and mid-sized range. So first you have, they're flying blind without the right information. They don't even have the data that they need to make informed decisions. That's no data whatsoever? In the land in, in times of big data, I mean, companies have no data or little data or, or, or they just don't know what to do with it? Or they probably have a trash bag of data, but they wouldn't know how to derive an insight from it. And a lot of times it's dirty data. They have multiple sources of master data. And so they don't know how to extract the insights. And even if the data is clean, they don't know what they should be looking at. Interesting. Yeah. Data mess. This is what it sounds like. There's so many different pieces of it, but it's just a big mess. All right. Data. Number one. What would be the second? The second one is their over-reliance on hero employees to deliver great experiences. So hero employees wow. sounds like a good thing. I love that. But the over-reliance on them is masking all of the things that should actually be fixed. It's super expensive to use these hero employees to continuously recover experiences for all the flaws in process, lack of automation, disconnected technology, et cetera. Well, this is interesting. So in the con, if I'm just thinking out loud here. So if in the contact center, this is not even the 80, 20 rule where 80% of the employees suck, 20% are, are, are pretty good. This is, we're talking about the very top of the pyramid, the top one or two carrying the weight of the rest of the team. That's basically what we're talking about. It's the firefighters that you're calling in. And when you look at how often they're fighting very similar fires, that if you just dug into the root cause, you could solve that and prevent it from happening probably 80% of the time. This is great. So we talk so much about CX heroes on this on this podcast, and we all have them. But we're saying here, you're, you're, you're suggesting that we should, companies should stop over relying on the on the heroes and redistribute some of the work and fix the processes so that we don't have to dump all the you-know-what onto the shoulders of just a, a, a select few. And the great heroes are probably the first ones saying what I'm saying is fix the underlying problem. But all too often, leaders aren't listening to them in that regard. They're relying on them to fight the fire, but then not listening to them in terms of actually addressing the root cause. Love this. Let's go to number three. What would it be? Looks going to be a shocker. It's neglecting to look into the root cause. <laughs> um, and so it's when you're experiencing these issues, when you're hearing from customers, complaints, et cetera, and not truly digging into what is causing it. Is it disconnected systems? Is it a lack of automation? Is it a human error that's introduced? What is it? Is it a process broken? There's a great quote, and I think it might actually be one of my favorite ones that we'll talk about later. The majority of issues are not caused by humans. We'd love to think so, but that is not usually the case. It's easy to point to humans. You did yeah. it. You're at fault. You're fired. You're whatever. You're 
punished. You're not getting a raise. You're not getting your, your bonus. You're not getting your promotion. It's easy to point to, right? Amen. It really is. But when you don't empower people to solve the root cause, you've got no one to blame but yourself as a leader. True. Very true. All right. Let's go to the fourth one. So the next one is one that you'll hear a lot about in the customer experience world. It's failing to walk in the customer's shoes regularly so that you feel the pain your customers feel firsthand. It's so easy to minimize a customer's experience and their pain and frustration. And this is really one that hits close to home. It's really easy to minimize it until you live it. Uh, I tend to be the person who's like, fuck up, you're fine, it's okay. Then I'm the customer and I get like a hangnail and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what you're gonna provide me? Un unacceptable. And so <laughs> realizing that when you experience it firsthand regularly, because it changes all the time. Perceptions change and the experience changes. I, I like this. The adverb regularly here is the key word. Mm -hmm. It's not It's not sufficient just to listen to a few calls. It's you got to listen to calls regularly. You have to go down to the contact center and walk around regularly. You have to interview your frontline employees regularly and ask them what the heck's going on. I like this. Regularly. <laughs> underscore if this we were typing this we'd underscore it we'd put it in bold yeah. we'd put it in red and we'd probably change the font and the size of the font right we put yeah, this in so. yeah. 64 so it stands out all right i got it next one what is it uh, so the last one is lacking a laser focus on your ideal customer and so often especially in times like covid where times are tight we just think well all business is good business so just whatever you can get take it and it's that 80 20 rule that 80% of your revenue is going to come from 20% of your customers. And are you really keeping your finger on the pulse of how profitable each of your customers individually or your customer types are for you? And not accidentally just kind of selling to a broader and broader set of non-ideal customer or client types. This is huge, especially in the SMB space picking and choosing who your correct client is. But I think in the consumer space as well, it's not throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's truly having a strategy, right? Yeah, and in the retail space, one of the examples I use would be, um, let's say Ikea and I usually say Nordstrom, but think of some high-end retailer. If you go into Ikea, and the experience that you receive is Nordstrom-esque, Nordstrom prices, Nordstrom service, Nordstrom quality. Are you going to be thrilled with that experience? Not if you were expecting Ikea. The reverse, if you go into Nordstrom and you get Ikea prices, Ikea quality, Ikea service, and now you've got to sew together the outfit that you bought when you get home, you're not going to be happy either. So both can provide incredible experiences, but it has to be for their ideal client or their ideal customer. Very handsome person behind you, Neil. Uh, very good looking. Other side. Thank you very much. That's, <laughs> that's, that, that's my eight-year-old son. He's, he's lurking, he's listening, he's learning. Uh, th thank you very much. So I, I love this. You gave some examples of some companies here, and, and I think this is absolutely right. The, the example is where I wanted to go kind of next with this. So you gave the, the five customer experience mistakes you don't know you're making. Can you give us an example of a, either a client or just a company that you know that's out there that is not making these mistakes? And please 
don't make it Amazon or Zappos, right? We want to try to stay away from there. They're the heroes. We know them. We don't need to laud them anymore. They've been, they've got enough trophies and, and they participated beautifully. Um, Keep them away because we know they do a great job. We, we they're, the, they're the gold standard, like wonderful Mazel Tov. But we're the ones, the hardworking companies that are that are struggling and but really making it. Yeah. So I've worked with so many clients who have, unbeknownst to them, been making some of these mistakes. And what I love about the people that I work with is typically they started out their company because they were so customer focused. That was their, the heart of their business. A lot of times that's actually why their business was born is because they wanted to provide great experiences. But as they grew, that experience eroded without them really noticing. So one example of a client who um, manufactures high-end fitness equipment, um, and they are a beloved brand by their clients. However, when I was introduced to them, they had been changing their business quite a bit, adding new uh, customer types. So they were originally a B2B business selling to fitness centers, selling to gyms, and now they were going direct to consumer. And in making that pivot, they were really, really struggling. So they had a lot of the hero employees covering for them and a lot of those types of mistakes. In going through and getting them back to their original principles of their business, we made huge changes. And that was, I think, five years ago. They're doing great. They were able to migrate from focus, focusing on B2B to B2C and take the success from the original model not migrate it, but kind of make it a, a new type of success handling they consumers. To, yeah. So they really had to realize how big of a change it was. You can't just extend your business, but okay. Who is your new client? What are they looking for? What do you prioritize? And then how do you deliver that experience? Because they have different expectations. And so for example, they would with their large accounts, they would have an account person help them figure out what to order. These are very complex pieces of machinery and they're tens of thousands of dollars. When they were selling direct to consumer, they did it self-service. Well, you now have a less educated buyer who doesn't know what they need and the amount of misorders that they were getting was astronomical. But because they were born um, this customer loving, as a customer loving company, they always just refunded shipping for returns. The biggest sign that we saw is their shipping prices were millions of dollars higher than they had been in the past because they're eating all this freight, two-way freight, to make up for the fact that these consumers didn't know what they needed to order and that that self-service model wasn't working. So this is a perfect transition into the next question that I wanted to ask you, which is the final part of the title of your book, which is dot, 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 that are causing profit erosion. I found, and you've certainly, I think, just described it before we hit the record button here, that there are many people in the contact center world that are not familiar with what profit is, much less, much less what profit erosion is. They're concerned, fairly so, about things like voice of customer metrics and average handle time and QA scores and those things that are very important in the operation. Mm -hmm. But the operation is connected to something called profit. 
for you, what, if you could just kind of high level, I'm not necessarily saying mathematically, what is profit and what is profit erosion for those that aren't familiar with it? So profit is the money that you get to keep. So you make a lot of money, you have a lot of costs and profits, what you get to keep. That's the super simplified profit erosion are all the sneaky things that are coming in and gradually eating away at your profits, your profit margins. And you typically won't notice profit erosion unless you take hmm, roughly, you know, maybe a two year view, a quarterly view to see what's happening to your profits, what's happening to your margins. And I was just looking at a company's numbers yesterday and they are gradually going like this. And they're going to continue going that way, that profit erosion. So it's sneaky and it is expensive. So this is a great question for you then, because I hear all the time, oh, look at Amazon and look at all the, look how easy they make it to return the product. And well, I don't know Amazon's P&L, what it looks like, but those things of offering free shipping and offering the world they're connected to cost. Mm -hmm. And so what you're suggesting here in the example of your fitness client is that it sounded like the client bent over backwards and offered all these amazing features and bells and whistles, made it really quote unquote easy. Yeah. But it crushed their bottom line because of the, the immense cost that they became saddled with all of a sudden. Yep. Is that, that, is that, is that a correct uh, interpretation that I just no, made here? It absolutely is. And I would challenge everybody to look at their next experience when you're a customer and maybe it doesn't go well, is to envision this trifecta of employee experience, customer experience, and profit. And when one goes bad, they all go bad. When one goes well, it's more likely. It's these vicious cycles or virtuous cycles as I refer to them, but you can't have a great employee experience, a great customer experience, and eroding profits. It doesn't work that way. They're so interconnected. I love it. So the people that say, and these are real life quotes, real life examples. Oh, you should be checking in with your customers and making outbound phone calls twice a week to your customers. And I, I see those things and I think, yeah, it'd be nice. Sure. It'd be great to call your customers. Who the hell calls their customers twice a week? A, logistically, it's challenging, but most importantly, the cost behind it, there's there's opportunity cost and there's direct cost to that, just to throw a bunch of call center agents because we got you know dozens of them sitting around just waiting to do outbound phone calls just to say hi and check in. Come on, guys, that's BS. It, there, there is a true cost of doing that, and I'm not sure that that necessarily translates to profit. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but there's certainly cost to it, right? At 100%. I actually got into a conversation on LinkedIn where somebody was saying, what are more ways that we can engage with you as our client? I'm like, the last thing I want is more engagement from a transactional. I will let you know when I need something. And he was, the gentleman was so confused that I wouldn't want to be reached out to all the time across all of these channels for something that I use. Not that often. What are the metrics of profit in the customer care world. And that's not saying customer care meaning call center or contact center, but but what how do we know that what we're doing in our trying to manage customer experience, how do we know it's profitable? Is it one of these indicators that's on the PL? 
Is it lifetime value? Like, how would you describe the best way to evaluate if we are profitable or if we are eroding? Yes. So I'll give you the simplest way. I list several more in my book, but I would say the number one way is how much money is a customer spending with you and what's the cost to serve? And that cost to serve includes the cost to sell to them. So I'll use um, simple numbers, but let's say that it costs $100,000 to sell to someone. They spend $200,000, but it costs $150,000 to service them. Okay, that's that's not good. However, the majority of companies that I run into are not capturing either of those numbers, the cost to sell or the cost to serve. They're looking at it in the aggregate, but you need to do it by either customer type or even specific customer, depending on the size of your organization. How do your clients react when they kind of get the straight dope and you've given them the medicine or have you found that like they understand this or they kind of, you know, like look at you kind of like a deer in the headlights or that you just hit them upside the head with a frying pan. Cause like these are kind of common sense things, right? But even so we find that our customer care departments and our customer care operations are upside down because we don't know, I believe what you just described. Yeah. So I would say I come in as a business person. Customer experience is a tool in my toolbox. I repeat to my team all the time, we don't do customer experience. That's like saying we, you know, do a a tool. That's a set of tools. Um, So we come in and solve business problems. We just happen to very strongly rely on that customer experience lens and the customer experience metrics. So in terms of business numbers, the hardest part for our clients is they get the numbers are bad. They usually know that some of them are trending in the wrong direction, but they don't know what's driving it. And the hardest part is when I have to tell them that they're not doing right by their customers. And that's why their customers are leaving. That's the hardest conversation because the clients I work with, again, they started their business because they typically love customers. That's where their heart is. But as they grow, you know, technology becomes fragmented, data becomes dirty and it's strewn all over your organization and you don't have this consistency. And so you're not delivering the experience you once were. And so that is a really hard conversation. And that's why we bring them into those conversations with customers so they can hear firsthand a customer that they think loves them say, I know you try, which is quite- Here's one. This just occurred to me while we're talking. Chief customer officer. That position, so by the way, I think that that is a role that is fairly new in organizations. It's probably never existed before five years ago, maybe? Yeah, I think that's probably close, yeah. Right? In, In an organization, a chief customer officer reports to whom? A CEO? A CFO? A COO reports to nobody? What, what is yeah. the ideal, or in your experience, A, what, like, where do you normally find that they, that reports into, and what do you believe, what should that position report into? So I think there is definitely a couple of camps. A lot of people think it should be into the chief marketing officer, or the chief sales officer. Um, I don't have a lot of room to debate with people. I believe it's one thing and one thing only. It's the CEO, period, end of story. And I would go so far as to say in five, 10 years, there should be no chief customer officer. It should be the CEO. 
because your company should already be operationalized in terms of making every decision with that customer lens applied. And that's the CEO's job. Their job is to keep their finger on that pulse. And then, yeah, they may have other roles supporting them differently than they do today. But yeah, it has to be into the CEO. The reason I don't believe it should be into sales or marketing is a very large part of where customer experience fails is the mismatch between what your brand said it was and sold and what you actually deliver. And so just continuing to see it from the sales and marketing side, even if you have a broader perspective, you're always going to be the CCO on that side of the business. And that's a lot of baggage to carry over to conversations with the operational or delivery side of a business to get them to have conversations about how to improve. Love it. This is super sensational stuff. Let's transition over to what we call the final third of the session. I would love to know, because I think we, by the way, we've just probably broken a bunch of myths, but I'm going to ask you anyway, are there a, is there a separate set of CX myths that you would like to bust? One, multiple? Oh gosh, um, I don't think we have time for that because it would last forever. Um, one of them is employee experience doesn't come first. Customer experience doesn't come first. This is a chicken and the egg. Can't have one without the other, period. If you have customers that are dissatisfied all the time, that's gonna infect employees and vice versa. So that's one of them. Um, I know right now it's the employee experience comes first. and. I a lot of the people that say that, I actually agree with what they are trying to communicate. It's kind of that over-communicate to get people to understand. Um, but that's one I would bust. The other is, if you can't build a business case or your ROI for customer experience, you don't understand the business well enough. And you need to ask yourself more about what is your business's core strategy, not just customer experience. What's the sacred cow metric or that metric that you live and die by. For some companies, it's utilization. Maybe it is number of shipments, um, EBITDA. What is that? And if you don't know it, you need to find it out. This is deep. This is deep stuff. It doesn't. It's fascinating. This is my, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. This is my footnote here. So just talking about general metrics like EBITDA, mm -hmm. number of shipments. Those are not complex concepts in and of themselves. Where they become complex is tying it into what the heck we're doing vis-a-vis -vis the customer. That's complex. And I think that this is where in my conversations with CX leaders, I don't think that there's a true bridge or connection between the two. And knowing, That's why I love this. Yeah, and knowing which of those metrics your company is gonna live and die by, whether you wanna convince them that there's another metric that's better, customer lifetime value, you may want to convince them of that. And if you want to make that your you know, long-term goal for the next five, 10 years, fine. In the meantime, you need to know the metric that they live and die by. Know the metric they live and die by. Excellent. So we're not living or dying yet. We're, 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 <laughs> we've just moved to the first third of the final third. Mm -hmm. The second third of the final third is a CX quote or two that you really like, something that resonates with you. It doesn't have to be CX necessarily. It could be just be a general business quote or something from, from literature. What do you have to share? This is I'm looking forward to this one. So 
you know, there are so many that come to mind, but probably two of the ones that I would highlight. And actually, that's one of the fun things about my book is each uh, section has a quote from somebody, not me, of just a lot of my favorite quotes. But one of them is, with, it's by Kendra Schimmel, and it's without the intentional design of backstage systems and operations, the work of navigating them is outsourced to the customer. And read between the lines, that's customer effort when you don't intentionally design backstage systems and operations. Whoa. It's a lot in there. Yeah. It's, just, it's really powerful because I, th I think a lot of times we don't realize the cost of what we haven't done uh, right and how much work it puts on the customer. And I, I want to put you on the spot here. Who the heck is Kendra Schimmel? And who, who, who is she to come up with such an interesting quote? Any idea who she is? Um, you know, I've looked up where she worked so many times and it doesn't stick in my brain. No offense to Kendra uh, because I love her quotes and she's brilliant, but I can't remember. Oh, good. We're going to have to find out. It's our homework. Find out who the heck Kendra Schimmel is. All right, perfect. Is there another uh, CX quote that you'd like to share? Yeah. So my other, and we actually briefly talked about this earlier, is uh, W. Edward, Edward Demings. So most people have heard of him. A brilliant, brilliant business person. So 85% of the reasons for failure are deficiencies in systems and processes rather than employees. The role of management is to change the process rather than badgering individuals to do better. Are you two, are you we, sure you guys aren't separated at birth? I, there, there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. <laughs> I found my CX soulmate over I here. Know. I love this. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. It, it's just so easy to blame and point the finger at people. It's convenient. It's, it's, it's easy to create scapegoats. Um, but the real truth is probably the process. Yeah. It's the and process. It's poor process that doesn't exist or it's process that exists. It just wasn't executed correctly. You, you, there's always something in there that's not human. And I, and I agree with that statement. I really do. And to tie it back to hero employees, it's usually the reason they're heroes is they know how to work around the systems and processes. They yeah. know the secret workarounds, loop arounds and whatnot to get things done. And that's how they become hero employees. They know where the bodies are It's what I call, it. they know where the bodies are buried. Yeah, exactly, right yep. there. Yeah. Yep. I know where some of the bodies are buried in our operation. We have some, for example, in our IT team, we have some legacy systems that are there, they work, you know, they have hiccups every now and then. But the problem is, is that we have somebody, a hero, who knows where those bodies are buried and how to fix them and circumvent kind of the process or short circuit it so that stuff gets plugged in and it works and it's, but it's tied together with either band-aids or chewing gum and, and saliva, right? Yep. Yep. And I, t I talk in my book about how oftentimes leaders love and hate their heroes because nobody wants to be that beholden to a human being. Well, at least I don't, um, of someone who's the only one who can fix the thing. Love it. Yeah. All right, here we go. Final third of the final third. Who are your CX heroes? And I think so, you got a long list of them and feel free to list them all. This is your moment. Make them shine. Don't hold back. So I listed so many and I'm going to go with kind of um, macro first. Uh, restaurants and hair salons. I have worked with so many of them and they have 
proven so resilient, creative, and just for everything thrown at them, I have been so impressed by what they've do, done to come up with alternative revenue sources and alternative ways of delivering their service. And that's a massive shout out. The other one, and I didn't um, mention this one before, but is airlines. I've had more calls with airlines, you know, cancel flights, get credits. And some of their processes and technology are still uh, a bane of my existence. But I have never talked to so many different agents who were empathetic, understanding, trying to help and solve the problem. And that's not the way it was five, 10 years ago. They've come a long way. And I'll even give it out a shelter to, to a shout out to Delta and Southwest, uh, two of the ones where just when they could be crabby because they're getting pounded by calls. Nope, they're on their A game and they're on their A game day and night. It's been amazing. That's great to hear because typically Delta and Southwest are the ones that, that are head and shoulders above the rest of the airlines. You hear usually good things about them. It's the other ones, American Airlines, which I fly mostly on, which is kind of you know, it's the thumbs down and JetBlue, I would say JetBlue is probably up there as well. I've heard some good things about JetBlue during, during COVID, but it's, it's some of the other usual suspects, unfortunately, that haven't, but good to hear Southwest and, and Delta I mean, leading the way still. It used to be United and really Delta is a comeback story because they used to be despicable too, in my opinion, but they have come a long way and reinvented themselves. Love it. Who else? So give some specific names on here of your CX, CX heroes. Yeah, so other heroes, and these are typically not necessarily CX professionals, but they are business people who have um, an eye and a heart and a mind for customers and experience. Uh, Chuck Ingram uh, uh, at Congruent X, Skip Marshall at Intech Ideas, uh, Jack Healy at Bear Hill Advisory, and he does he's a CFO and also does Cyber Business Rescue, and to keep a customer experience lens on that is huge. Uh, Michael mm -hmm. Pareka, he owns uh, a brewery and I mean, he bakes his own biscotti and pairs it with different alcohols. That's amazing. Um, That's innovative. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mike Long at Avenade. Uh, Robert Nix, who's independent but working with Orchid Black right now. Um, Paul Alley, he's with Dynamic Communities. And communities have been really hit hard during COVID too. So having to get creative about how we serve uh, that population. Uh, Joelle Pavan, she does placements for executive assistants and just is her focus on her clients is amazing. Uh, Charles Locke, he is at Velocio, uh, incredible account executive, always focused on the client. Uh, Janine Werner, and I wish I knew where she was, but she's changed jobs recently and I can't remember. And uh, Crystal Hawker, and I also can't think of the name of her company because they've spun off a, a new aspect of their business. But just people whose heart is focused on the customer and oftentimes are so much more in tune with the experience we're pro providing and customer needs than a CX professional. Love it. I got to say, Paul and I, when we ask our get our visitors uh, this same question, we have some repeat uh, names that continually pop up. Some of the usual spot suspects that are great. They do wonderful work. And, and it's wonderful to hear that so many people love these specific individuals. But having the chance to hear and, and, and read about names that we would never have necessarily heard of otherwise, it's important. These are the people that deserve the, the, the kudos, certainly.
Absolutely. Jessica, this this was a great session. This was a, um, I knew it was going to be good, but I, like I really learned a lot and you made me think here. And um, th there's some challenging stuff in here to figure out how to tie what we do back into finance. How do we help our companies make money? Yep. It, it is, and it is uh, not simple, but it is, or it's not easy, but it's actually fairly simple. Uh, so I think I, I think I should come back and we'll talk about that and why CX isn't entirely altruistic and all about you know people and feelings and trying to be kind to people all day long. Isn't that funny? We, we didn't even get really to that. <laughs> Instead of answering the to be or not to be, I know what my answer is, but it doesn't matter what I think. You're right. You're going to have to come back on for part two of CX altruism, to be <laughs> or not to be. I kind you of think it a date. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's, I think it's going to be one more show. To me, it seems like it could be a whole season purely based on that. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh, that would be fun. This has I been love great. this. This has been great. This, this has been great. Jessica, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for your time, for your ideas. Um, remember, audience, the five customer experience mistakes you don't know you're making <laughs> that are causing profit erosion. And here it is. Put it, hold up one more time. There you go. For those that are going to see the video, here it is. Blue cover by Jessica Noble. Get it either through her website. Name What is the, the website, Jessica? MagneticExperiences.com. MagneticExperiences.com. Perfect. Or, of course, through Amazon. Read this. And one amazing thing about it is it sounds like it's a relatively short read. It's 60 pages. You don't have to spend months and months reading this thing. Read it. Pound through it. It's worth it. This session was a keeper. Absolutely. We like you, Jessica Noble. You're coming back. Thank you for being our guest. Yeah, thank you for thank having you so me. Much, Jessica. You smashed it. Thank you. Yeah. So concluding today, episode 35, Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. We had a great session with Jessica Noble. Thank you finally again to Jessica Noble. Thank you, audience. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Give us a share. Give us a follow. Give us a something. But most importantly, just come back and listen to us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.